The following is message number one of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia on the evening of March 24, 2017. The title of the message is Doing the Will of God and Living for God's Purpose. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? Amen. Regardless of all the diverse things that have taken place in our life in the last year? Has our God not been faithful, Amen. wise, Amen. loving, Amen. merciful, Amen. full of grace? Amen. So let us praise Him. Amen. Give Him the glory. Amen. Let us rejoice and exalt. Amen. Give the glory to Him. Our general subject, living and overcoming life for the fulfillment of God's purpose, is based on 2 Timothy. So all the messages have their specific source in this last epistle uh, written by Paul. And here we have really his last speaking. And at that time, he didn't have that many fully open to receive his final words. But on one of his journeys, the second apostolic journey, he was in a certain locality, and there he met a young brother named Timothy who had a very good spiritual upbringing, especially by his grandmother and his mother, both of whom possessed genuine faith that they imparted to Timothy. So he was partly Jewish, partly Gentile, he was recommended by the saints to Paul to join him in his ministry. And Paul chose him and from that point on regarded him as his beloved child in the Lord. When he wrote to the Corinthians the first time, he said, I, he said, I will send Timothy to you. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. So when Timothy comes, really, that's my coming. And he will not present something out from himself. He will present to you my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. When Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he mentioned something both discouraging and somewhat encouraging. He said, I have no one like sold with me. No one who is in one spirit with one soul that he mentioned in chapter one, except Timothy. 
And he went on to point out, all seek their own things. And this all refers to those in the work, those in the churches. When it came down to it, they sought their own things first. Not the things of Christ Jesus. But he pointed out Timothy was different. Although Timothy was very, very different in disposition from Paul. There are many indicators Timothy was rather uh, lacking in assertiveness. He had a lot of physical problems with his health. Paul said, I remember your tears. But something took place in Timothy through the operation of the cross by the Spirit, constituting him with Christ, that his soul was the same as Paul's, same mind, same feeling, same intention, same view, same heart. He was like sold. And Paul told them, Timothy will genuinely care for what concerns you. Paul was imprisoned twice. After the first imprisonment, he was released for a period of time, traveled somewhat. But the second time he was arrested, probably under Nero's Caesarship, he knew he would be martyred. You don't know how, but it was exceedingly cruel. And he was in a situation of imprisonment in Rome. And he's writing to Timothy. Timothy was not his successor. There's no such thing as that. There's no successor to Brother Lee. There's continuation, but no succession. And he pointed out to him, all of Asia has turned away from me, including Ephesus, where he had spent three years. Even at the end of the epistle, he pointed out that one of his close co-workers forsook him. Demas has forsaken me because he loved the present age. To be one with the apostle when he's imprisoned, sentenced to death, that's risky. Not many could do this. There was one couple, a marvelous couple. Look forward to meeting them hopefully in the wedding feast, Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul said in Romans 16, they risked their necks for this ministry. But Paul knew he was finishing his course. He knew at the end, something we can only know at the end, that he was an overcomer. We'll see this in later messages. He said, 
I finished the course. I kept the faith. I fought the good fight. I know a crown of righteousness is laid up for me. Not only for me, but to all those who love the Lord's appearing. But he knew Timothy was far from finishing his course. And Timothy had to remain in that exceedingly difficult situation. So Paul wrote 2 Timothy directly to Timothy to comfort him, to encourage him, to supply him, and we'll see shortly, to commission him, to charge him under the governmental authority of God to fulfill his ministry. And what we see lived out in Paul and being lived out in Timothy, as recorded in this epistle, is an overcoming life. And another overcomer is mentioned, he's identified in a note, Onesiphorus. And Paul singles him out. In contrast to all those who forsook him, Onesiphorus journeyed to Rome, specifically to find Paul. And he searched out until he found him and identified himself in a practical way with this imprisoned apostle and ministered to him. And Brother Nee points out that was an overcomer, victorious in a degraded situation, but also victorious to carry out God's will, intention, and purpose. And Paul spoke blessing on the whole household of Anesiphorus. May they find mercy on that day. So there is very deep feeling between Paul and Timothy. So on the side of the feeling, Paul is encouraging Timothy. He reminds him God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. This is no time for cowards, no time for passivity. Fan the flame of the gift of God. Be ready to suffer with the gospel. He said, continue in the things that you have learned, remembering the ones from whom you learned them. He said to him, consider what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Although there was a pure spiritual father-son relationship, we will see both of them were serving under the rule and authority of the enthroned Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I'll read a couple of verses, probably in due time, where Paul had to charge, issue an authoritative commission to Timothy before God, before Christ, before the holy angels. I am charging you. This is a weighty word. I have to wonder with a measure of concern who is open, who is willing, especially in our society and with minds conditioned by this age, who is willing to receive an authoritative charge from anyone about anything? So this is the general situation. So I want to expound on the subject for a while. Then I'll go through the outline. If it's in a conference like this with messages rather than sermons, you may wonder about, well, how long will this last? <laughs> I think I'll be done around nine o'clock. And I love to say this, I really mean this. You may have had a hard week. You came here on Friday night, you drove. If you doze off, may the Lord give you a holy nap. <laughs> and I pointed out once I fell asleep while I was speaking. <laughs> so how can I not have mercy toward those who I do the same? Okay. So I'd like to begin with God's purpose and present two definitions of this so we have a common understanding, okay? God's purpose is God's plan according to his will. So when we speak of God's purpose, we mean his plan that's according to his will and his will is what he wants, what he longs to have. Another definition is God's purpose is the purposeful determination in God's plan. Determination. When we consider God's purpose, we're touching divine determination. I hope there are some that can relate to this and testify of this. When God makes up his mind to do something, he will do it. <laughs> Our God is a determined God. So there's a purposeful determination in God's plan. We know from the scriptures such as Revelation 4.11, that God's will is the source of everything positive in the universe. That verse says, because of God's will, all things were created. That includes you, right? God willed that you would exist. It might interest you to know when he made this decision. 
Well, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 indicates it was before anything existed in eternity past. God chose you to be holy. So guess what? You're going to be as holy as God is. And in the next verse, Ephesians 1, 5, God predestinated us unto sonship. That is to have the life and position of a son to express God. So God chose us. God predestinated us according to his plan and foreknowledge in eternity. So you were born, whether you kind of like it or not, at the place appointed, at the time appointed, into the situation appointed. It is a very great thing to see and honor the will of God. And with God's will, there's something that Paul's call, Paul calls his good pleasure. And that refers to the desire of God's heart. So God's delight, his joy, his happiness is interwoven with his will. And those who have decided with powerful determination that they will live their human life according to God's perfect will, not what he allows, but what he has ordained. They can say the greatest joy is in doing what God wills. Amen. So God has a will. We'll read a section on this, something he wishes to have. And with this will is the desire of his heart, his good pleasure because God is looking for something to make him happy. Recently, uh, two little God men sang a new hymn at a particular occasion that was written for that occasion. And uh, the last stanza says this, we're happy for you, Lord, our lovely bridegroom. We rejoice in this romance divine, awaiting the time when we hear you declare, this beautiful bride is now mine. So the Lord's joy ultimately will be a wedding and they will not just live happily forever after, they will live happily eternally. So in God, in eternity past, there was his will with his good pleasure. Based on these two things, he made his purpose, his plan accordingly. And his purpose, stated briefly, is to have a situation in the physical universe where there are people on the earth filled with the triune God and who express him 
corporately as the body of Christ. And it is God's desire, as revealed in Revelation 5, to call these people from every corner of the earth, every nation, every race, every social class, every nationality, of every color. God is no respecter of persons. To call multitudes of these outwardly diverse human beings, but commonly human beings together, saturate them with himself until they are just shining him out corporately. That's the body of Christ. When the Lord Jesus comes back, that body of Christ will become the bride presented to him. This will be the happiest hour the universe has ever experienced. Oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. Because we were created for God's will, and God's will involves his good pleasure and purpose. We exist for God's purpose. The vast majority of human beings right now, 7 billion plus, are living a meaningless life. They do not know God or they do not know God's purpose. And I know from a rather thorough study that vast numbers of our beloved brothers and sisters, wherever they are, have only been taught about God's will for you. God's will for your life. How to find God's will for me. Where is the clear speaking on God's will for God? the will for which he created everything, including us. So I just tell you a little secret in my heart, which will no longer be a secret. I, I realized very keenly before too long, I as a brother will stand before the son of man for him to evaluate my life and service as a Christian. What will be in balance will be the kingdom as a reward. I just long very much and look for his grace that he might say something like this. Ron, just as you're happy with me, I'm happy with you. You lived on earth for my purpose, not for yourself. Wouldn't you like the Lord to look upon you, a kind of ordinary human being, all of us, went through all the stages of human life, fulfilling human responsibilities outwardly, but somehow inwardly and in your church life, you came to realize why you're here. 
and what your life is for and why you were saved. We read that verse. He saved us according to his purpose. So we want to live for this purpose. And I emphasize outwardly, we should be living a normal, healthy human life at every stage. If you're young, don't try to act like you're not young. Be a young believer, be a college student, be a young adult. Be recently married. I know what it's like to be recently married. Okay. When you, when you become a parent, when you enter middle age and have crisis one, then crisis two, then whatever, we're not an exception. But inwardly and intrinsically and in our church life, our living is a contribution to the fulfillment of the desire of God's heart. Maybe he would say to you, the bride is ready, partly because of you. You contributed to this. You not only became part of her, you enabled others to become part of her. But the living we need is an overcoming life. And I'm concerned about how this word overcoming may strike you because humanly we have concepts. Then we have an enemy who is out to dishearten us, to discourage us, to accuse us, to lie to us. So many saints, they're in this situation. They know the truth concerning overcomers. They know the truth concerning the kingdom. When they were young, they were really gung-ho to be overcomers, as the young should be free to do. Don't interfere. Just let them, let them be fully young. But then after some decades, we begin to wonder who's ever going to be one of these victors. Well, I have good news for you. We do not become overcomers. Christ produces overcomers. That's part of his ministry right now. In Revelation 3.20, he says, I overcame. In 5.6, there's a declaration. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, he has overcome. So the Lord is well able to reproduce his victorious overcoming life in us. As we open to him, allow him to dispense himself into us, reproduce himself in us. Look, in, in 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul, who I would say rightly, called himself the greatest sinner, received mercy to become a pattern to all those who would believe. His whole life is a pattern. And his end is a pattern. Paul began wanting to murder 
us. Acts 9 says he was breathing out murder. Come on, be honest with yourself. When was the last time you resolved to murder anyone in the recovery? Never. So God took this person that hated the believers so much and was deceived to such an extent that he wanted to murder them he would barge into the saints' homes while they're having a group meeting and drag both brothers and sisters out to the Jewish high court and vote for the death penalty. We don't know how many deaths he was involved in. But he received mercy. And God is saying, look, if I can take this kind of person and make him an overcomer at the end, can't I do this in you? Are you that difficult that not even the triune God can do this? I just believe he's able to make all of us overcomers in the end. It's all about, it's not about using an athletic metaphor. It's not about like in the last Super Bowl, it's not about who's ahead at the halftime. It's about who's got more points on the board when the game ends, right? And so this is what we see in 2 Timothy. We see a God-man who reached the end and the scoreboard lit up, victory. None of us can know until the end. So we do need supply from this epistle to encourage us, to equip us for our living. So that again, I repeat, whatever we're going through humanly, financially, with our health, in relationships, with our children, in our married life, whatever we're going through humanly, we are in touch with the continuous dispensing from the heavenly Christ, supplying us to go on and on until at the end, we're victors. Amen. Now I just present four other matters, then we'll go through the outline. Four matters related to living and overcoming life. There will be others. Paul opens 2 Timothy this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, according to the promise of life. So we see Paul settled the matter that whatever he would be, whatever he would do, would be through the will of God. Then he goes on to speak of the promise of life. Because in a situation of degradation and relentless attack from the enemy, our ultimate resource is the divine life that's now in our spirit. 
When we're in this kind of situation, we'll see shortly, there will not be miracles. There was no miracle to rescue Brother Nee from prison. Even when he asked for a few days off to attend the funeral of his beloved wife, he wasn't allowed. No miracle regarding his health condition. But his last word was, I kept my joy. It's the divine life within us. It's indestructible. It's uncreated. It's eternal. And right away, Paul is pointing Timothy to this life. Timothy, I am finishing my course as an overcomer because of this life. Timothy, this is in you. I remember your tears. I know your situation. Eventually, his last words to Timothy, his last words to us was, Timothy, the Lord is with your spirit. I have to go. I have to depart. The Lord is with your spirit. Timothy, the grace of life is with you. Amen. Then the second point is living under what we call the discipline of the inner life. And I treasure a note that's on chapter 4, I think it's verse 20. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't just drink water. Take a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. We know from Acts 28 and other places, Paul had miraculous power to heal. You know, after that shipwreck, he healed lots of people there on that island. Why didn't he just use this miraculous, powerful gift? But he didn't. He pointed Timothy to a normal way to take care of his stomach problems. I'm not recommending Manischewitz or anything. I'm just saying he said this. Then at the end of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he mentions a co-worker named Trophimus. This is very touching. He said, Trophimus, I left at Miletus ill. He didn't say Trophimus decided to stay at Miletus because he didn't feel well. Neither did he say, Trophimus is heroic. He insists on coming with us, regardless of how he feels. Paul made the decision. This is his care for a co-worker. He assessed the situation. He said, Trophimus, we have to leave you here. He didn't lay hands on him to heal him. They were all under the discipline of the inner life. 
Because what produces overcomers is life. Not miraculous power. Not those who claim they can slay people in the spirit and do stuff like that. It's this mysterious life deep within us. And it's our learning to be fully content if the Lord decides to do nothing to change our outward situation. I will not mention the brother. There is a co-worker and a fellow minister with whom I'm closely related in the Lord's service. He's had affliction for decades, decades. It's not going away. He doesn't pray for it to go away any longer. The life is there. When I'm sitting next to him and he's about to minister, I know what he's going through before he makes the decision to stand up and to walk to the platform and speak for an hour or so. But the whole recovery is supplied by those who do not take the way of outward miracles, but are fully at peace with the discipline of the inner life. In other words, just go by this life. So Trophimus and Paul had this fellowship regarding health. I was working with Brother Lee one morning and he stopped our work and he spoke directly to me concerning something he had learned about my health. Very direct, very fatherly. But because of that, I am alive today. I am alive today. Because he pointed me to a human practical way, not in a pseudo spirituality that would have just made things worse. And we saw this in him at the end, as we met with him a few days a week for months at his request. We saw how he lived, how he received the Lord's arrangement, how he accepted the will of God. Then the third matter is very different. And we read in chapter four, verse one, where Paul says this, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Okay. This is now authority. Paul himself is under the divine government. And so is Timothy. So he didn't just try to comfort him as a son. They are both under the Lord's authority. Honoring the headship of Christ, the one who said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We are under the rule of the Lord Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Paul himself was under that. 
And he represented that. And he charged Timothy before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill his ministry. There are other verses. I just read one of them. In 1 Timothy 5, 21, it's even stronger. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the chosen angels that you keep these things without prejudice, doing nothing by way of partiality. I appreciate that. Paul is living in the one new man. He had no special love for anyone. He had no bias. No one felt neglected. No one was second class with him. No one was marginalized. No one was ignored. And he gave this severe charge. There is a genuine concern in many of the co-workers. And I don't want to make this a generational thing. It really isn't. But it's emerging afresh. I really wonder how many of the saints in the local churches really know the sovereignty of God, who really recognize the supreme authority of the ascended Christ over the events that take place. I don't want to identify any. Over the things that are happening. How many of us can see through the outward situation and recognize there is a government, there is a throne, there is a king on the throne. Amen. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Sometimes in my prayers, I remind him, I'm not for this person, for that person, but I remind you, Lord, this one is under your authority. <laughs> but no one can be victorious who has not decisively learned how to be delivered from the principle of rebellion and to honor the Lord's authority and to live under the throne whence flows the river of water of life. And then the fourth point, and then we'll go through the outline. And I have nine in view. I think we're going to do this. <clears throat> we need an incentive. We need something to motivate us. And Paul's personal incentive became part of his charge to Timothy. What motivated Paul personally was the Lord's appearing and the kingdom. So that's why he charged Timothy before the appearing of the Lord and for the kingdom. Later on in that chapter, Paul talks about two kinds of love a love that he had and that other saints also had and the love that one of his co-workers had. 
Paul said for Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.8, this promise of the crown of righteousness is for me and for all those who love the Lord's appearing. Not just the Lord himself, but his appearing. Who would respond in love if he would appear tonight? You know, the Lord Jesus is in this meeting right now. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He said, I am with you all the days. I say this respectfully. Good evening, Lord Jesus. We honor you as the center of this meeting. We cannot see you, but we believe in you. We've never seen you, but we love you. But one time he will manifest himself. That will be his appearing. We should love his appearing. Here's an illustration. The trainees in Anaheim have Monday off and they're allowed to do certain human things for recreation or for to take care of practical needs. But certain things are prohibited, like don't go see a movie on Monday afternoon. So let's say on a certain Monday afternoon, I go to a post office, which is right next to a theater. And I come out of the post office and four trainees come out of the theater. These trainees love me, but they don't love my appearing. <laughs> they would say, we love you in the training center. So we need to ask the Lord to infuse in us a love for his appearing. In another epistle, might have been in Colossians, Paul refers to one of his co-workers, obviously a close co-worker named Demas. But when things got tough, Demas forsook Paul. He said, Demas has forsaken me. He went to Thessalonica, having loved the present age. And literally, the Greek is nun ion, love the now age. He loved what is now. He wanted enjoyment now. He's not going to risk things to say, yes, I'm a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. There was a meeting held in one of the churches in mainland China after the communists took over. They met with the saints and they said, we have no problem with your being a Christian, with Christianity. Our problem is with Watchman Nee. We simply ask you, dissociate yourself from him and everything will be fine. Then they walked out and left it to the saints to decide. And most took the bait. Those who said, I'm one with him, were imprisoned or maybe killed. Being an overcomer has very much to do with being properly one with the Lord's ministry. 
from which we have received everything. Now we go through this outline, specifically on doing the will of God and living for God's purpose to focus on certain details. One says, God is a God of purpose, having a will of his own pleasure. And Paul prayed as soon as he heard a report that dear people in Colossae now believed in the Lord, he immediately began praying that they would be filled with the full knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how important it was to him. In Acts twenty-two fourteen, 14, Ananias was sent to speak to this new believer. And he told him, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the voice of his mouth. So Paul was chosen to know God's will. In Ephesians 1, he said, the mystery of God's will has been revealed. This is God's will for God. And where we're going with this in this next section, what's in my heart here for all of us, but especially for the young regarding this matter, I wish I could have made the decision at 16 rather than at 25. And the decision was, Lord, I choose only your perfect will. I will not live in the realm of what you permit. I choose what you ordain. Regarding marriage, regarding ministry, regarding where I live, regarding every major decision. I choose to be subject to your will alone. And because of that decision, the Lord brought me out of so many things in religion and in the world. We're in the realm of what he permitted. I know many tragic cases among us of young adults that made decisions, especially regarding marriage, governed only by their heart, their attraction, their feeling, and God permitted them. But if they had really come to him and said, Lord, I come to you, I have all these feelings. Nothing to be ashamed of, you're human but I will not be governed by this. Is this your will? I will only be governed by your will. I told him this again, nine months ago, during a pivotal life-changing time. I only want the desire of your heart, only your will, nothing else, nothing less. I don't know any other way to live. No matter what his will is. As long as it's his will. That's it. That involves his good pleasure, his purpose. 
whether I understand it or not, whether I like it or not at first, your will. This is how Paul lived. This is why he said I'm an apostle through the will of God. I didn't choose this. I didn't respond to someone's controlling me. Amen. God willed this. We should be able to say this before the Lord, before the enemy. I married this person. I'm living in this place. I'm accepting this job. I am serving in this way because this is God's will. Amen. And those in the body who live this way will have a deep amen. God's will is God's wish. God's will is what he wants to do. So God's will in your life is what he wants to do. Now, we all want to do things. That's normal. But God may not want to do the things you want. And he may want to do things that never occurred to you, like going to a place characterized by four letters, F, T, T, A. Well, you don't do that because saints in the church think you should. Maybe that isn't God's will for you. Let's let God be God in this matter. That they be able to tell him, maybe it's a little scary right now. So the Lord understands you're not the first to be afraid of what God might do. But eventually you can say, Lord, whatever you want to do, with me, to me, in my life. I agree with you in advance. You don't have to check with me about this or that. I'm saying amen in advance. And I'm not doing it in emotion, at a time of high emotion. I'm being sober, I'm being thoughtful, I'm making a decision. I want you to be able to do with me what you want. God's good pleasure is of his will and is embodied in his will. So his will comes first. God has made known to us the mystery of his will through revelation. The knowing can know it other than that. In Christ, that is through Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians 1.11. <clears throat> now, let me tell you what it means when Paul says, God works all things according to his will. That means God works all things according to his will. In every realm, military, economic, governmental, he has a will. Let him work according to his will. God's will is his intention. And his counsel is his consideration of the way to accomplish his will or intention. So God had a counsel, C-I-L, which issued in a counsel, S-E-L, on how he's going to do this. So that counsel includes how he's going to gain you. 
in detail. God is very detailed. So he knows your being. He knows how to gain you. He knows where you are. So now my prayer is quite simple. I can tell the Lord, I don't know what I need. I don't know where I am. I just come to you as I am. And you care for me according to your understanding of my situation. So simple. D, in 1.9, Colossians 1.9, God's will reverse, refers to Christ. The will of God is profound in relation to our knowing, experiencing, and living the all-inclusive, extensive Christ, who is God, man, and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. That's quite a statement. God's will is that you experience and enjoy the all-inclusive Christ right now now, Amen. whatever now might mean. God wants you to enjoy his son, the all-inclusive Christ. E, the will of God is to obtain a body for Christ to be his fullness, his expression. So God's will is Christ in Colossians. God's will is the church in Romans and Ephesians. To live the body life is to prove what the will of God is. When I made that decision in 1966, affirming what I decided in 1964, I choose your perfect will. The Lord then brought me out of Christianity altogether, led me to literally drive across the United States to California, and I met the church in San Francisco, and I realized I have found the will of God, Romans 12, 2. The will of God is there, and read verses four and five, that will is the body of Christ, expressed as local churches. If we are proper members of the body, acting and functioning in the church life, we will be persons in the will of God. So those who live an overcoming life are persons living in the will of God. And this will involve a cross because things that you want to happen may not happen or they're not happening now. Why would the Lord cause a super marriageable sister to remain single well into middle age. Why? So many others got married. Well, when God acted, it became very clear. This was his will to preserve you for decades for this person at this time for this reason. Amen. Not cheap. It's not cheap. That's why I don't appeal to emotion that we're stirred up. It cuts across things that we may expect, things that our parents may expect for us. But we become persons in the will of God. Then this section ends with a reference to Matthew 7. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. 
These verses speak of workers appearing before the Son of Man on the day of judgment. The Lord begins by saying, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens, but he who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens. And then many will come and says, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did works of power in your name. We prophesied in your name. There may be many TV evangelists who say, I slew people in your name. I did this in your name. I built a crystal cathedral in your name, now belonging to the Catholic Church. And the Lord won't deny it. He would say, I don't know you. I don't recognize anything you've done. You're a worker of lawlessness. There's a lot of lawless Christian work going on in this country. We're not going to argue. It's not for us. We're not the son of man. We're not the judge of others' work. But those who did great things and you know the situation in religion. I fear for many of them when they come before the Lord and the fire tests their work. That's all they'll have is their basic salvation. Their whole life was a waste. You got glory from men. That's what you wanted. You all did this for your self-glory. Here is Watchman Nee. Here is Witness Lee. Here is Sister Nee. Here is Sister Lee, who paid a price. You know, I have a personal hope regarding the millennium. In China, for several decades, the two most powerful men were Mao Zedong and Zhou Enlai. Brother Ni, Brother Li were considered off-scouring, imprisoned, labeled this and that. Wouldn't it be marvelous if during the thousand-year kingdom, Watchman Ni ruling in the south, <laughs> Witness Li ruling in the north. You know, why would God send them to Iceland or Patagonia? I'm not advising, Lord, I'm not advising you what to do. I'm just sharing my heart. So you just consider who got the better deal to be a, a big leader for a few decades or to be a king for a thousand years. But you have to do the will of the Father. Now the section on purpose. The eternal purpose, the purpose of the ages, is the eternal plan that God made in eternity past. This plan is called the eternal purpose because it was planned in eternity past for eternity future. I know if you're a young 20-something, it's hard to believe this, but life is short. It's a short bridge between two eternities. And we're on the bridge of time. <clears throat> and on this bridge of time, the wise thing to do is to carry out what was planned in eternity past. So your life will contribute to the new Jerusalem in eternity future. Amen. Otherwise, your journey on the bridge of time 
will be meaningless. Just meaningless. B, God himself is the initiation, the origination, and the sphere of his eternal purpose. Regarding his eternal purpose, God did not take counsel with anyone. He did not ask for your permission to be chosen to be holy. He just said, you're going to be holy, even as I am holy. And you're going to be born in sin like everybody else, and you're going to be saved. And you may choose option B, that is holy later rather than holy sooner, but you'll be holy eventually because God happens to be God and he chose that. He didn't take counsel with anyone. Everything is working for God's purpose and nothing can overthrow it. Amen. Nothing. Amen. Nothing, no one can overthrow it. See, God's purpose is to have the church, the body of Christ, through which he can express himself. That's what the Lord wants to see in local churches. God expressed in Christ through all of these dear, different kinds of human beings who have the same faith, the same eternal life, the same salvation, the same triune God. And he shines out of all of us specifically created the way we were. So there can be a full, beautiful, glorious expression of the triune God in humanity. God's will, good pleasure, and eternal purpose are to have the church. Well, someone now who's quite logical is saying, are you saying if I'm not in the church, I'm not in the will of God? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I have to say that, that's what the word says. You're in the permissive will of God to be wherever you prefer to be. But the will of God, according to the scriptures, is for Christ to be everything and to have the body of Christ expressed in one church in a city called a local church. When I came into the church life, I came into the will of God. I'm not gonna argue, I'm not gonna reason with you you just go to God and go to the word. I'm going to sleep peacefully tonight. If you're troubled by this, I'll be rejoicing, actually. Oh, the, the light is working. The word is operating. Amen. God purposed to do one thing. To gain a group of people who would be the living body of Christ for the expression of the triune God. The purpose of God in the universe. Oh, this is. Quite wonderful point. The purpose of God in the universe is to produce a group of people who will be exactly the same as he is. Not in the Godhead, okay? I happen to not be omnipresent. I can only be in one place at a time. But we have the same life and nature that God has. This is the unique subject of the Bible. Wow, point one, in life, Nature, image, appearance, radiance, glory, and outward expression. You will be the same as God. Amen. Like father, like sons. Amen. Every human child has a life and nature of her parents. We are children of God. We have the life and nature of God. 
And when our soul is transformed, the soul as the organ of expression will express the Lord. So sisters, you're gonna be radiant. Brothers, we're gonna be beautiful. We're gonna be part of the bride. Better get used to it, man. I know you wanna be macho. But the man is the Lord Jesus. We're, we're part of the bride. God's eternal purpose is to work himself in his divine trinity into his chosen and redeemed people as their life, nature, and everything so that they may be saturated with God. <clears throat> Let me try to make clear how difficult this is, how hard it is. We come to the Lord just as we are based upon the blood of Jesus and we open our heart to the Lord. We say, Lord, I love you. Work yourself into me today. Amen. Saturate me this weekend. Amen. When we leave from here, just past noon on the Lord's day, may we all leave with more triune God in us. Amen. So it's so simple. Just receive his dispensing, let him do it. Just love him, enjoy him. And open to him as much as you can. If you say, Lord, I'm not ready to open like this. Okay, then like this is a good start. I won't force you. Then when you trust me more, it'll be like this. And it will expand. And eventually, no more limits. You can say, Lord, I open my whole being to you. Saturate my whole being with yourself for the body, for the bride, for the kingdom. God's purpose in creating man was that man would express him and represent him. That's what a human being is. The eternal purpose of God is to have a corporate man to express him and represent him. F, God saved us and called us with a holy calling according to his own purpose and grace. That's why we all got saved. I didn't know the reason when I got saved, did you? Did anyone tell you, today you received the Lord? We'd like to help you to go on. You got saved for God's eternal purpose. He chose you in eternity past. Now he saved you and he's calling you to live a life in and for his purpose. How blessed you are. Amen. And we are here to shepherd you step by step to live a life fully in God's purpose. We need to view salvation from God's perspective. The purpose of God's salvation is for his created and redeemed ones to have the sonship. That is to have the life of the son and be conformed to the image of his son so that the son would be the firstborn among many brothers. That's Romans 8.29. Romans 8.28 speaks of purpose. Romans 8.29 defines the purpose. Many brothers conform to the image of the firstborn son. That's what God wants. Salvation involves our being saved from a human life that is meaningless. I don't think I understand the millennials very much. I don't wanna have a distorted view of them. I don't wanna have a biased view of anyone. So if you can help me understand how you view human life I'm willing to receive this, but I'd like to share with you my heart concerned about your generation. 
you're heading toward a meaningless life. And it, like all the other preceding generations, but with your own kind of characteristic about it, my heart aches for you. When my wife and I were in, in Maui last week, I saw this young man, and I don't know, he was maybe 24, working there. And he said something, you know, about his generation. I, I told him, it wasn't encouraging. I said, I have a lot of hope for your generation. My hope is you get saved into a meaningful life. That you don't waste years. You don't waste your young adult years. You don't buy into the value system of this age. Do not conform to this age. You're not fashioned. Okay. So salvation involves our being saved from a human life that is meaningless. The gospel of God saves us out of a human life that is without meaning into the meaning of the universe. I'm obviously not young. My life is full of meaning. I live every day in the meaning of the universe. Me and my dear companion, this day by day, every day, is for this full of meaning. God created a man who had a great meaning and purpose, but man fell and the meaning of human life was lost. With his salvation, God rescues us and brings us back to our original purpose, which is the meaning of the universe. How we just long throughout all the college campuses the gospel would be prevailing, that these dear students would be rescued from a meaningless life and touch the meaning of the universe. They wouldn't say, oh, this is something, yeah, you're an old guy, you got to live a long time, and now, I, I, no, don't waste years. Time is life. Let, you, let the Lord fill your life with meaning. Amen. Now God's purpose is our purpose and we are living on earth for the fulfillment of God's purpose. One final point. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul said God called us and he saved us and called us according to his own purpose. But in chapter 3, verse 10, he said to Timothy, you have closely followed my purpose. You mentioned my teaching, my this and that, my purpose. You think these are two purposes? They're not. God's own purpose became Paul's purpose. It was embodied in him, expressed in him, lived out in him. Timothy could see it. When so many others forsook Paul, they also forsook God's purpose and God's economy and God's will and God's supply and God's direction. But Timothy, he had a very clear view of his spiritual father. And his spiritual father understood this. You closely followed. And he said, my purpose Timothy could say, I know what God's purpose is. 
I saw it in a man. I saw it lived out in all kinds of circumstances. How many times he was shipwrecked. How many times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned almost unto death. How many times? No matter what. Now he's about to be martyred. So Paul could say, God's purpose, my purpose. What is the burden in particular in this message is that both first by faith and then eventually by constitution. And I'll do this now as I end. This is by the Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace. I stand before the triune God. I stand before all the holy angels that are serving us. I stand before the universe. I stand before the enemy, the liar, the devil, the accuser, the deceiver, and all of his evil spirits and all the demons. I stand before you all and testify by God's mercy, God's purpose is my purpose. I'm a man with a purpose. A man in God's will. All because of God's mercy, God's grace, God's forbearance, his long suffering. What a blessing to know the will of God, to be in the will of God, to know the purpose of God, and to not only know it, but for that purpose to become our purpose. Praise the Lord. For those so inclined, please pray now for about 30 seconds with someone nearby. Then the microphones will be set up and Brother Ted will direct us on our prophesying. We need many of you to complete and confirm the message.